0: fishing for a show aimed at the outdoor enthusiast tune in to bass pro shops outdoor world saturday at 10 a.m and 5 p.m eastern on rural radio sirius xm channel 147 and on the sirius xm app
1: Welcome in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. If you love fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors, and want to make it even better, you're in the right place. With host Rob Keck, your adventure starts right here.
0: Good morning and welcome, and thanks for tuning into Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, where truly your adventure starts right here. I'm Rob Keck, your host. And folks, we are back in Salt Lake City once again, broadcasting from the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo at the beautiful and spacious Salt Palace Convention Center. A lot of construction going on. really speaks to the growth that's, that's happening out here in this part of the world. And as I mentioned last year when we broadcast from this event, this is the place where hunting and conservation come together in the West. It's a major event of the. It's a joint effort between uh, the Mule Deer Foundation, Sportsmen for Fish and Wildlife. This is their national conventions. Attendance projected over sixty thousand visitors. Also, want to mention Bass Pro Shops' uh, annual Spring Fishing Classic Show and Sales kicked off once again. Runs through March the third. And if you're in Canada or up in Anchorage, Alaska listening to us today, uh, it's March 1st through the 17th, and it's at all of our Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's retail locations, a lot of local pro seminars, women's fishing workshops, free kids' activities and giveaways. So don't miss out. It all happens at Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And check out the details at basspro.com slash springfishingclassic. Well, today on our show... We have two outstanding guests. They've been with us before, both very passionate, and uh, they're accomplished outdoorsmen. But more importantly, they're very passionate and effective conservation leaders, especially right here in the West. But, uh, you know, their, their efforts are being felt around the country. Joining us is Troy Justinson, the president of Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife, and Miles Moretti, the CEO of the Mule Deer Foundation. They've been with us before, and we're very fortunate to have these two men, these leaders, sitting here this morning because I can tell you the duties that they have this weekend are vast. They were going to share some of their organization's stories, talk about this super expo, provide some observations of the year and review some of their conservation achievements maybe some shortfalls but certainly the opportunities miles and troy thanks for joining us right here again on outdoor world troy good to see you rob good to have you back in town miles yeah good to see you back <laughs> i'll tell you what uh, to come back here to see the excitement the way this thing continues to grow generating excitement with with you know even beyond the hunting community what an impact it's had and you know i feel like I'm in the presence of greatness here with uh, the outstanding wildlife restoration and the management work that uh, your organizations have done here in the West and what you continue to do in such a big way. And before we get into discussing your respective organizations, I want to spend some time here just talking about the event right here at the Salt Palace, the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. Miles, this is the 14th year of the Expo, and from your perspective, give us some sense of achievement of this major show
2: and how it's impacted uh, your organization? Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that it's the 14th year. It, time's kind of gone fast, but we have just continued to grow every year, and 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 it just it even amazes me how um, how much this show's grown, how much it's grown in stature around the country. We still continue to have vendors tell us that everybody says they have to be at this show. It's just amazing. And, and what that's helped our organization is get the word out about Mule Deer, about our, uh, about the Mule Deer Foundation across the country. We have over 170 chapters spread across the United States. They're not all just in the West. And so, um, it's really helped us to get our message out and uh, help us in accomplishing our mission for mule deer and black-tailed deer.
0: Troy, as president of Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife, you've been part of this this major event uh, even prior to your leadership role as president of SFW. And you know your team has put years of work into, into growing this major event. You know, what are your thoughts about uh, uh, the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo and what it's achieved during those first 14 years? You know, Rob, it's nothing short of amazing. The Mule Deer Foundation and Sportsman Fish and Wildlife
3: have provided a blueprint and showed what can be accomplished when egos are checked at the door and two great groups unite for the greater cause. I couldn't be prouder of the team.
0: Yeah, well, you guys, you know, it's it's really cool to see two groups working together. You know, so often uh, I've seen groups that uh, they're heading down the same road, but they're not working together. And you guys, I don't know what the chemistry formula is to make that work but you guys are hitting it out of the park miles uh, how's it changed from uh, back on year one to year 14 we just have uh, about a minute here uh, give us your
2: thoughts on how this thing has grown well when we started nobody thought we could do this and so that was the first challenge we had and then we had another partner early on the wild sheep foundation they decided to go back out on their own and that first year, it was pretty tough. Uh, we were scrambling to fill the exhibit hall and and get people here. But each year, it grew and got bigger and bigger. And and what makes this show unique is the fact that we have really wide aisles and we have a lot of families here, a lot of it young is. kids. And we'll maybe talk about that some more. But but of the events we've had, but it's it everybody just remarks about that. That's something that uh, we don't see at these other shows. Yeah, well, truly. And just one more thing, I've had a couple guys say this show has a different feel than any other show we go to.
0: It does. Well, Troy, here just in the last 30 seconds, what makes this show uniquely different from what playing off what Miles just said and some of those other hunting and outdoor conservation shows? It's a true partnership. We celebrate each other's
3: achievement. We have one goal in mind. How do we make it bigger and better and provide the best opportunity for our memberships and people that
0: attend the expo? Well, you're doing that, knocking it out of the park. we got to move to our first break. We return, going to continue our conversation with Miles and Troy, this and a whole lot more coming right up. And I'm Rob Kent,
4: your host right here at Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. We all have it. Whether it was passed down from our fathers or grandfathers, we knew it was there, inside us. That need, that longing to walk among the wild. But it's more than just our love of the outdoors that keeps us coming back. It's knowing we serve a purpose to give more than we take that we're here to carry on a legacy and become stewards of our wildlife. This place embodies that legacy with over a mile and a half of walkable trails and 35,000 live fish, mammals, reptiles, amphibians and birds to teach and inspire. Stop and you'll feel it. Listen and you'll hear it. Asking you to share the wonder. The Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium. Share the wonder.
1: Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just
0: tuned in, we're visiting with the president of the Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife, Troy Justinson, and the CEO of the Mule Deer Foundation, Miles Moretti. You know, Troy, over my 11 years and coming here to the Expo, and I can't believe it's been 11 years of, of emceeing here, and, you know, I've met some of the nicest people in the world, and, you know, one of the things I've noticed about the Expo is that uh something that you both have touched on, that, that there's lots of families here, and and I've got to ask you, is that something that you guys are really targeting, you're, you're promoting uh so that families can feel comfortable bringing their kids here to uh, a show where... You know, there's firearms. There's you know animals. There's hunts. Uh, you know, what do you do that makes it? Is that a target of, of your of your groups? Sure, it is. I mean, it's it's all
3: it's where it all starts. <clears throat> Some of my fondest memories growing up were the uh, life lessons I learned hunting and fishing with my father. And it's those times that we learn respect for others. We respe- we learn respect for nature. We understand that hey. We don't have these things unless we pay attention to them and look to preserve and enhance them. So you bet. Families will always be a big part of this expo. Yeah. We love them.
0: Miles, I know uh, the expo's also noted for auctions of big game tags. The expo, you know, provides millions of dollars for your state's uh, wildlife programs. And, uh, you know, just quite amazing to me, the tags that you have, uh, you know, the sale, those premium hunting permits for all species of game. Uh you know, what are some of the most sought after tags, uh, that you have at these auctions? Cause I know you've got people that come in from all over the world just to be here to bid. And then you've got, what last year, over 300 online bidders. People couldn't be here, but they were bidding online.
2: Tell us about that. You know, we, have some of the, we have some of the most premium big game tags, uh, from around the West. And, uh, what, that's what kind of sets us apart. We have more than any other show and we, and some of the most, tags are our antelope Island deer tag, uh, some of the bighorn sheep tags uh, here in Utah, Arizona elk, uh, Arizona strip deer, um, all you know different species uh, from around. The country, uh, Unimac Bear from Alaska, that, but one of the unique things, 93% of that money goes back to the state wildlife agencies to manage wildlife. And that's some states let you keep 10%, some require you to put 100% back. But, I mean, you know, the Poncigant tags, the Henry Mountains tags, deer tags, and they're just amazing. And, and the number of sheep tags that we have, whether it's desert, Rocky Mountain, whatever, we have more than anybody.
0: Yeah, well, there, there's no question about that, that, uh, you know, if, if you want something really special in the way of a tag, this is where to come. And, you know, Troy, last year, well, over the last couple of years that I've been here, the Antelope Island Mule Deer tag, you know, has brought in excess of 350,000. I know one year over 400,000. What do you think the top tags you know with this arizona strip uh mule deer tag uh what what do you what do you think give 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 our listeners just uh, your guess on what something might bring this year the economy's oh, no.
3: good. It could be a little scary. As you look at <laughs> what uh, uh, tags have sold previously at the Wild Sheep Show and other places, this could be a record-setting year. Yeah, It's going to be a phenomenal year with the water and the precip that we're getting around the states here. Next year's season's going to be phenomenal. It yeah. could be scary, Rob.
0: Yeah, Miles, how about you? Do you want to venture a guess? I mean, Troy Troy didn't give us a, fig- a dollar <laughs> figure, and well, it's, uh, I'm not going to hold you to it's,
2: it. It's always a tough guess, but I can tell you, <laughs> this year we, we were able to bring an uh, Arizona elk tag here. Uh, normally that sells for 230000 I think we'll be over 300000 for sure. The Arizona Strip and Antelope Island, I think, are going to compete for somewhere somewhere north of three fifty and could break that four hundred barrier again, uh, $400,000 barrier. But uh, just based on the economy and what we're seeing in previous shows, uh, I think we're going to blow the roof off. You know, there's
0: listeners out there saying, what do you mean $350,000? And scratching their head why would somebody pay that amount for a tag? Troy, Miles? Because they can. Yeah,
1: exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, yeah, you're right, Miles said it. No, because they can. But a lot of uh, times we overlook where that money's spent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's critical to going into uh, winter range, uh, restoration, summer habitat, whatever. Bottom line, at the end of the day, those monies gener- uh, generated from those cells benefit the average Joe it's quite simply that's how we do what we do in utah with uh, all the
0: projects that we have going on you know i talked to uh, one of the successful bidders a couple of years ago on the antelope island mule deer tag and and i asked him i said why would you pay that amount of money he told me so well, i've got two choices do i want to give that money to uncle sam in the form of taxes or do i want to give it to my favorite conservation charity and you know it really hit a chord with me and you know, we've got a lot of people here that think a lot about what you guys are doing and how important this is to the future of conservation. You know, Wiles, the Expo gives non-residents uh, a chance to draw five once-in-a-lifetime tags, moose, mountain goat, bison,
2: desert bighorn, rocky mountain bighorn tags, how does that work? Well, the state of Utah uh, allows us to take two hundred of their big game tags and have people come to this show and apply for them. and And it it is unique. No, nowhere else does this happen. Um, and but part of it is you have to come and validate your application here to show. And and it, within those two hundred tags, we have five non-resident only tags which really helps us uh reach out to the to more people across the country and and we're seeing more and more non-residents apply for these tags well troy on those 200 tags uh, those special
0: utah tags Uh, people have to come here to the event. Is that correct? Correct.
3: They have to come and validate. They don't have to pay an entry fee to get into the exhibit hall, but they do have to come here and validate. And Like Miles said, these are some of the best units in the state of Utah for
0: $5. I mean, some of the pictures I've seen of the successful hunters that, that drew those tags this year, I mean, my gosh. You know, it gives the average guy a chance to have a real quality tag, a quality hunt. And I don't know where else you'd go to do just that. Well, Miles, tell us about the exhibit hall. You know, it seems like they're breaking out the walls here at the Salt Palace every year.
2: Uh, how many exhibitors, and uh, what might they see? We have over four or over five hundred exhibitors, and uh, they're having a phenomenal show, and it's it's incredible. One uh, before the show opened, walking the floor. There were companies I'd never heard of. I mean, there's so many new products coming out. I mean, everything from uh, you know gear to hunts to uh, uh, all kinds of gadgets. I call it gadget stuff for the outdoors. But I am just amazed at the number of companies that come here, number of items. But but also we have a waiting list of over a hundred vendors that want to get in our show. So next year we we're going to expand the exhibit hall a little bit more.
0: Well, we're going to talk just a little bit more when we come back uh, from the break, but we got to take that break. and we return, going to continue our discussion of the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo and begin to look at the two conservation groups that drive this great show and fundraiser for wildlife. I'm Rob Keck, and you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us, and we will be right back.
5: We are the young minds that will shape tomorrow's world, but today the world is in your hands. What's your vision for the future? Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the world leader in wetlands and waterfowl conservation, and we've had the same vision for the future for more than 75 years. A future with clean water, abundant wildlife, plenty of places to enjoy nature, and wetlands, sufficient to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. Sure, there's still a whole lot of work to be done, but we know we can turn things around together because we are the next generation of DU conservationists. And with a little help from you, our future is looking really bright. Ducks Unlimited, working for conservation for generations to come. A public service from Ducks Unlimited.
1: Back to Bass Pro Shop's outdoor world. On Rural Radio, Sirius XM.
0: And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us. And uh, if you've just tuned in, we're privileged to have on our show this week two very experienced and effective conservationists who are doing, in my opinion, a magnificent job for wildlife conservation. Not just here in the West, but it's touching people and it's giving ideas to, to wildlife managers all across the country. They're right here with us now and having a wonderful conversation with Miles Moretti, Troy Justinson. And, you know, we focused on, on the, uh, the expo itself. Before we leave that and talk, uh, you know, about their organizations, uh, Troy, what is your favorite part of this exhibit hall? You know, Miles mentioned uh, in the previous segment about the variety of things, but, you know, you've been part of this thing since the beginning. What, what's your favorite part of it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough question.
3: Uh, I think I don't know if I can narrow it down to one thing. It's You build a, a relationship with a lot of these exhibitors. A lot of these guys have been here with us for the 14 years, and I always look forward to coming back and renewing those friendships and seeing them. And our, our goal is that everybody have a
0: successful expo. So I don't know if I can limit it to one thing, Rob. Yeah, well, they've got a lot of technical gear. And, uh, I mean, if you're a mountain hunter, I don't know of any place you can go and find the variety of products that are here from backpacks to technical clothing to the kind of boots that you need if you 're going to go hunt mountain goats or or sheep or or what have you, and uh, you know the ladies of course had a had a big event. miles tell us about uh, you know that event, what it does, and some of the other events that take place here
2: around the exhibit hall around the uh, the evening events? Well, we try to have something for everybody, and the ladies' luncheon, as again, was a huge success. Uh, their theme this year was Greece, so uh, there was a, a lot of uh, 50s uh, costumes being wore. They dress up, they have auctions, they have everything, uh, and uh, it's amazing, and, and it just continues to grow. And this year, they really dedicated the funds that are raised from that. They wanted to go to a project and so we're working with uh uh, some of the local people here and uh to to get a project that those ladies can can say is theirs and uh and so uh it's going to be a shrub planting in the spring
0: you know well i've got to ask you did you go with your wife when she picked out her outfit for the ladies luncheon
2: you know she had several outfits, and I had to give her some critique, and, and you know, that's always dangerous ground.
0: It is. It is.
2: She, I left her to pick her own.
0: Yeah, I did, too, and uh, came back and how does this look? How, you know, my wife was born in the 60s, and uh, she said, I don't know what it was like in the 50s. I said, well, you're, you're on the right track. Well, Troy... We've got some calling contests taking place here, too. Tell us about those. Oh, we got uh, our second annual WHC Elk Calling
3: Championships here. Chad Shear will be running and taking care of that, so we'll be looking forward to seeing the contestants there. we also got the uh, Great Salt Lake Regional uh, State
0: and Regional Duck and Goose Calling Championships. And seminars going along that really, yeah, seminars. you know, just sort of feed off of them. Entertainment miles.
2: Yeah, we had a, had a great concert with Little Texas the other night. Chris Jansen, also um, uh, Secretary of Interior uh, Bernhardt. Yep, yeah, for sure. We well, you know people come here to
0: book hunts as well. You know, they all always uh, try to win on the raffles and the five dollar tags. But uh, you know, you've got a lot of outfitters that are exhibiting here in the exhibit hall, Troy tell me a little bit about uh you know booking a hunt how many outfitters are exhibiting what kind of hunts uh, are they offering and uh you know give give our listeners uh maybe a little insight so that they can put this event on their calendar for next year to come and maybe book their hunt of a lifetime yeah it there's a true
3: diversity out there. I mean, whether you want to go waterfowl hunting, whether you want to go predator hunting, and I notice there's a bunch of hog hunting and boos in there. But then you got your uh, your Canadian outfitters, which you want to go hunt sheep, grizzly, moose. There's really anything and everything there. And, man, the quality of it is is unmatched. It's, it's really neat. I was amazed. African outfitters African, here, too. Probably
0: New, more here than what I've seen in previous New Zealand, you know, yeah. all sorts of different places. Spain, yeah. Spain, yeah. we've yeah. got
2: Spain now.
0: Miles, once again, I, I know you mentioned about, you know, the money raised through uh, these auctions, the tags going back uh, to the states. Give me a little more specifics on, uh, you know, how this money goes to work for wildlife conservation. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they, they're they there, they get caught up in the excitement, they see the big dollars, and you say it's good for uh, going for a good cause, and they buy into all that but just give me an example or two of what a difference these dollars have made on the ground.
2: Well, you know, a lot of the a lot of the tag money goes back directly to the States and we work with them in, in developing projects that help a variety all wildlife, not just not just mule deer or big game. And uh, and then also what a lot of people don't understand is the two organizations we help leverage additional dollars And we go find partners, and some of this money is leveraged five times, ten times, or more with other dollars from state and federal agencies and other partners, and and it's having a huge impact across the landscape. And the reason we have these world-class big game herds is because of this work that this money goes back to to improve habitat, uh, you know, some predator control, a whole bunch of things, management, transplanting sheep, transplanting uh, other animals. Yeah. Troy, anything you want to add to that?
0: Well, amen. Yeah. All right. Well, look, the economic impact I know continues to grow uh, on the city as well. All of it, of course, generated through the expo. Uh, I know, you know, the hotels around here are absolutely sold out. Uh, any numbers you want to share on just what kind of an overall economic impact the Expo has right here on, on
2: Utah? We have to report back because we get a grant to from the state of Utah to advertise out-of-state. And we have to report back, and, and and they tell us that the economic impact is, is over $10 million that just goes not what the Expo raises, but mm-hmm. outside the hotels, the restaurants – people spending and staying a few days and and they love it it's all it's all revenue tax revenue that goes to the state and and the local uh businesses love having us in town they always tell us we can tell when hunt expos in town everybody's wearing camel (laughs) there you go (laughs) troy anything more you want to add to that
3: no it's it's far-reaching not only just here in in, uh, salt lake city itself but in the state you know tourism you know spikes people come they spend a little bit more time than just you
0: know going to the expo So it's a huge economic impact to the state. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, just a final thought here in the last uh, 20 seconds on the expo, because when we come back, uh, Miles, in this next segment, then we're going to talk about uh, some of the great work that the Mule Deer Foundation is doing. And then in the following uh, segment, we'll talk about SFW. So uh,
2: final word here in this part. All I can say is if you've never been to this expo, you need to come on down, put it on your calendar for next year, February 11th through the 14th.
3: Perfect. Troy? Sam, we always hear about southern hospitality. Come to Utah and let us show you some
0: of our hospitality. You've got it right here. Folks, we return our next segment. We're going to be talking with Miles about the Mule Deer Foundation, the organization, the work they're doing. And this is Rob Keck. You're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World right here in Salt Lake City. And we will be right back. Sirius XM's Rural Radio
1: is your guide to the agricultural markets
3: where expert analysts and traders join our discussion live.
0: Your information. Open up the farm and the challenges we face. You can learn how to do it for yourself. Rural Radio, your gateway to the rural lifestyle. The latest information about hunting, fishing, and more. Rural Radio is the leader in Western sports. We talk about the latest in Western sports. Professional rodeo, bull riding. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. 147 or listen on
3: your phone when you get out of your car with the Sirius XM app.
1: everybody, I'm Easton Corbin, and I grew up in the smallest county in the state of Florida, and that's a long ways from Nashville, let alone elk country. But I've been hunting all my life, and I've always dreamed to chase an elk. When I came out west and heard my first bugle, I was hooked. I just had to roll. Now I want to make sure that dream will be here for tomorrow's hunters. If you feel the same way, make a difference and join the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation by going to www.rmef.org. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM.
0: And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World here in Rural Radio. And if you uh, are listening to this segment, let me tell you, we're talking about the work, the great work, the Mule Deer Foundation, and it's all being shared with us by the CEO of MDF, Miles Moretti. The great work that you're doing. Miles, in our limited time today, give us a little background uh, first on your lifelong work in the field of conservation.
2: Well, I started out as a, a field biologist and worked my way up through uh, the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources and had an amazing 30-year career. And I got to work on a lot of different uh, wildlife issues and uh, retired from there. And And 14 years ago, I made the jump to the Mule Deer Foundation. And, and it's been a great career. It's uh, we, I've been able to participate in a lot of amazing uh, experiences and, and working with a lot of amazing people.
0: Yeah, you sure have. And you know, we hear that in some places, mule deer have been on a decline. And uh, why don't you share with our listeners the, the plight of the mule deer and some of the contributing factors that uh, have been you know, part of this decline. Talk to us about that.
2: You know, one of the interesting things is mule deer are, uh, whether they're going up or down their populations, it's, it's, it doesn't it isn't consistent across the west and and we just had the mule deer working group here uh, that's a state biologist this week and uh, a lot of concern about some areas where our deer have declined and it's related to habitat uh, the quality of it uh, you know and as we're growing in the west we're finding more conflicts between deer and 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 the urban interface but we're also uh, you know Predators are becoming a big issue, and some of these uh, studies that we've been able to fund in the last few years are showing that that predators are having a lot bigger impact than we had in the past. So you could, it's kind of some places it's a double whammy, but then other places, uh, some of these fires we ha- we're having are not are devastating, but they're actually improving the habitat, and we're seeing a flush of of these animal populations recovering. Mm-hmm.
0: For those that maybe haven't heard of the Mule Deer Foundation, we've got listeners, of course, all over the country and Canada. Uh, just a little bit about the mission, some of the things that uh, that uh, the Mule Deer Foundation is focused on.
2: Miles, sure, not a lot of people. We, we're the Mule Deer Foundation, but we also have Blacktail Deer in our in our uh, uh, mission, and so um, we're we're a, a nationwide international organization, uh, uh, we work, and also, you know, a lot of people don't realize we work on Sitka Blacktail in, in Alaska, so, um, uh, we get, we, we really spread our umbrella out, and, uh, and we're, we're, work, we work closely with the state and federal agencies and private landowners, and, uh, if it impacts mule deer, or there's something we can do to improve mule deer, we're, we'll jump in and help.
0: You mentioned 170 chapters back, uh, earlier in the show, uh, Not all of them are found here in the West. And we may have some listeners back East that say, you know, I come West to hunt mule deer. I want to do something, contribute as
2: well. Tell us about the chapters and what they're doing, Mark. We have a lot of chapters that are not in mule deer country. We we have over twenty. We have about twenty chapters in in Texas, and most of those are not in mule deer country. We just expanded into Minnesota. We have three or four chapters there. Uh, we have a chapter in Pennsylvania. We we have one in Atlanta and one in uh, Jefferson City, Missouri. What is all they, ha- they have in common? They all love to come west and hunt mule deer. Mm-hmm. And so they get excited.
0: Well, those volunteers, if somebody wants to become a
2: member, how do they do that? It's pretty easy. Uh, just go to www.muledeer.org and, and join. And uh, there's some information about uh, any a local chapter near you. If there's not one near you, help us start one. Uh, we, we'd love to have you, but our volunteers are just incredible. We well, you know we've we've
0: talked uh, here something about the decline in some places of mule deer, and you mentioned about uh, predators, but you also touched on urban sprawl. And two years ago, uh, I think it was when uh, Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke was here, he signed uh, uh, a secretarial order regarding uh, migration corridors. Talk to us about
2: that. Well, I'll tell you if. Since that day, it is just amazing how that initiative has grown uh, nationwide with the state wildlife agencies, the federal agencies, and with us. Well, I've had to actually hire some personnel to work on that, but that is something that's really important. With this new technology and GPS collars, we're able to identify and pinpoint where those deer are migrating. And we're also working uh, in Washington, D.C. to try to get some funding for wildlife crossings over highways because that's where it was really a pinch point for a lot of these uh, populations. But then also we're identifying uh, where they're going into the valleys and helping the cities plan for growth. And that's a that's a new area for us that we're asking them to say, hey, can you leave this little bit of open? space just let's not put houses there but urban sprawl in the west is actually a big big impact
0: yeah i'm sure you know i heard on the news this morning about uh, the mass exodus of uh, residents from california to yep. other states yep. and as you see that urban sprawl get into this winter range that that you've got here literally right outside of salt lake city uh i was with you a couple years ago and we did some urban trap and transplants and uh you know, it was amazing to me to see mule deer right in the yards of these subdivisions, oh, yeah. and and you know, how do people, how are people going to learn to live with wildlife, still enjoy it and but put up with it?
2: You know, it, it's a tough issue because we work uh, both SFW and MDF. were moving uh, urban deer, uh, working with the wildlife agency here in Utah. But unfortunately, uh, with CWD on the landscape, uh, that has been halted, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's actually going to be a real challenge for biologists and agencies to, to to resolve those issues if we can't move those deer out of those urban areas. And once they get there, they just stay there. They forget to migrate. And it only takes a generation or two of mule deer not migrating for them to forget because it's the the old doe the patriarch that teaches those young deer how to migrate wow you
0: know miles many listeners uh, back in the east midwest have never hunted mule deer tell us uh, why mule deer are different to hunt than white tails which you know those people are very familiar with hunting
2: well they're they're the way they react is so different we're out here in big open country uh, mule deer can be as secretive as a big old, uh, white buck, but, but you're just hunting them in a different area. You hunt them differently. A lot more glassing, a lot more, uh, figuring out where their, where their travel patterns are, uh, on the mountains and, uh, where they're bedding down at night. And, and we don't do a lot of tree stand hunting out here. Um, you have to, you have to be in pretty good condition to, to go after those mule deer, those big mule deer bucks, because they are smart. The only time they're dumb is during the rut. Other than that, they're one of the toughest animals to hunt.
0: Yep. Very quickly here before next break, how can somebody
2: find out more about MDF and become a member? Again, go to MuleDeer.org and uh, our website, and you can join. You can uh, also sign up to be a volunteer, find a local chapter, and uh, find some fun events. We have these things called Beers for Deer and Gunapaloozas that are just a two- or three-hour event, and they're a a blast to go to, and you'll find one near you. Thanks, Miles.
0: That brings us to our next break. We return. We're going to visit with the president of Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife, Troy Justison, right here in Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck, and we will be right back. Today's hunters are facing some real challenges. Nationally, we lose 6,000 acres of upland habitat every day. Hunter numbers are not keeping pace with population growth. Each of these puts our hunting lifestyle in danger. With your help, the National Wild Turkey Federation is tackling these challenges head-on with its Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative. Our volunteers have committed to increase wild turkey populations and protect our hunting heritage by improving 4 million
4: acres of habitat, creating 1.5 million new hunters, and opening half a million new acres to public hunting. Join the NWTF today
0: to help make these bold goals a reality. Visit nwtf.org
1: for more information and to find out how you can help protect our way of life. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM.
0: And we are back, and thanks for tuning into Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World right here on Rural Radio. And if you've just tuned in, we're privileged to have with us in this segment The president of Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife, Troy Justinson. Troy, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, your passion. I know you worked uh, as an outfitter and uh, your conservation history and, you know, the work you're doing with SFW. We talking about passion or addiction? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great it's probably both.
3: It is, Rob. And you know, I can remember the day that it started to be honest with you, it was a local conservation group, Davis County Wildlife Federation. I got involved in basically I was in junior high school. And on National Hunting and Fishing Day, they asked me to go man a booth at our local mall, you know, promoting the activities of National Hunting and Fishing Day. And ever since then, it's just kind of spawned. My father was an avid outdoorsman and a hunter and took the time to take me and my brothers out hunting. And so it was just, it was ingrained in me. It's who I was. And I was fortunate enough later in life to, you know, be an outfitter, to get paid for what I'd love to do. And, that's, and I haven't lost sight of that as far as the conservation aspect of things. I've always been one to
0: want to give back to the resources they took. Well, we've said it many times that hunters are the heroes of conservation. And I have found some of the most successful conservation leaders uh, are those that are passionate about what they do. And uh, you've got those credentials. You've got that addiction. And I, I can't help but think that it makes you even more effective than any other kind of leader in leading the work of SFW because you know what those members, what the hunters are thinking. You understand the conservation issues that are out there on the land. And I think when you put that together, it's, you know, I've oftentimes said it's the emotional gasoline that carries you to higher levels of achievement. And you've been doing just that. What was it like being an outfitter? Oh, man, geez, like I says, getting paid for something you love to do.
3: I mean, it was a dream. I remember in days in school sitting in the English class or whatever it was, just dreaming, man, if I could just be out hunting. And then you look through the magazines and see all these hunter uh, outfitters and think, man, what it would be like to be one of those? But yeah. I live a dream. Yeah, you know, I'm a grassroots guy. That's where I started. And, you know, like I said, my passion is there. But I've been very fortunate and blessed to be around people like Miles um, Byron Bateman and others to you know, help me down that path to become a yep. leader in the conservation world, yeah
0: for sure, well we don 't you share with our listeners then the role that you play now you know what is what does the you know the leader of sportsmen for fish and wildlife do? Give us a little insight into that, man, who would have thought like I said <laughs> I started out in s f w as
3: a volunteer, and then I wanted the local committees and sit on their board and eventually became their fundraiser and now they entrust me with the leadership of this organization. It's very humbling. Uh, it is, Rob. And I couldn't be more proud of uh, the partnership that we've developed with MDF and then also in my group, you know, my volunteers. I call them mine because they're my warriors. They are. And uh, I live and die for them. I love
0: them. And wouldn't, couldn't do what I do without them. Yeah. How about the mission of SFW? A lot of people, you know, back east maybe have never heard of Sportsmen for Fish and Wildlife and the, gosh, the, the achievements that you guys have done over the last 20-plus years have been quite amazing. Tell us about the mission. It really boils down to three words,
3: conservation, education, and tradition. We're big on family tradition. We believe that hunting and fishing was, it's, it's a, you're born in it. I mean, it's just who you are. It's, it's in your fabric. It's in your soul. And then the education of going out and educating not only our members, our responsibility to take care of nature, But in educating those that don't necessarily see the way we do and teach them the role that we play in conservation, then the big thing is conservation. If we don't put dollars back to make sure that these things are for future generations, it's going to be gone, and that heritage and that tradition is going to be lost.
0: You know, there's many conservation groups here in the state of Utah, whether it's elk or mule deer, turkeys or what have you. What sets your group apart from the others? Not that it's better, But certainly, you're unique. We are unique. We're different. We're an in-state
3: group. It was founded basically that, hey, we wanted to raise money to take care of things in our our own backyard. But we we partner with national groups and fight those fights that are at a national level. But our focus is really in-state and just the things that are in our backyard. How
0: many members do you have?
3: It fluctuates. We're small. We're a small group. We fluctuate between four and
0: 7,000 uh, members. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with that because... We carry a big stick. The, I guarantee <laughs> you the results have been quite amazing. How about your chapters here in the state? How many it, of those? We have
3: 14 chapters throughout the state, and so, yeah, attend every banquet. I haven't missed one in
0: 25 years. Wow. Well, you're celebrating more than two decades' worth of conservation achievement, and uh, why don't you... Talk to our listeners again about some of those major initiatives, some of those projects that uh, uh, you've been involved with. I mean, everything from sheep to predators to research. Share with us. Yeah,
3: you know, that's another unique thing about SFW is we're not necessarily species. We aren't species specific. We deal on upland game. We deal on fishing. We deal on waterfowl. Whatever. Uh, we played a major part in uh, getting some uh, more acreage opened up on federal preserves in the Bear River uh, Bird Refuge to allow waterfowlers to go and experience in hunting in you know, that country. Uh, we've done a lot with upland game and uh, reintroducing ringnecks in some of the, the project areas that we've done with the habitat work we've done. We've got a bunch of studies going on with predators, and then you mentioned sheep. Man, we've got a lot. I think we've uh, been involved in uh, over 100 sheep coming to the state this year alone. Well,
0: when you say coming in, now you're talking about live trapping and transferring. Tell us, tell us, I've seen some of those pictures, I've seen some of the video. Tell us how that's done.
3: Well, it's interesting you may uh, talk about it. We talked about Antelope Island earlier. It's known for its big deer. But we're reintroducing bighorns back on that island. We had a disease issue here a little while ago. And we had to extirpate all the, the sheep off that. And once again, partnering with partners that are helping this, uh, Brendan Burns from Cuyu lined us up. I mean, it happened just because of Brendan. Got us some sheep from the Rocky Boy Reservation in Montana, and we just turned them loose here two weeks ago on Antelope Island. Wow. These are giant rams, and now on the 20th of February, we're going to the Taos. Pueblo in New Mexico from the, uh, the Taos tribe there, and bringing back some more bighorns to put on the island on the 20th. Yeah,
0: diversifying
3: those genetics for sure. It's all about partnerships, and couldn't have beaten done. i, you know, I got to give a shout out to Brendan. It, didn't, it wouldn't happen without him.
0: Yeah. Well, the work you're doing with predators, on predators rather, uh, you know, Miles mentioned about big predators. Talk to us just briefly here before we run out of time about that. Predators are a problem. Uh,
3: especially what we've learned in some recent studies, we've gone in and actually put a vaginal uh, uh, transmitter in cow elk and does. And so when that fawn or that calf's dropped, we know exactly when we go in and we put a collar on that calf or that fawn. And it gives us a mortality signal if it's killed. And then we go in and we determine what's killed. And what we've learned is bears and lions have a, a huge effect on our fawns and our calves mm-hmm. in fact you know of the i think it was 50 uh, fawns and, and calves that were collared we lost 14 to lions 11 to bears and only two to coyotes whereas we used to think it was the reverse
0: wow amazing and i know they found some of that same research to be true back east with black bears and their predation on fawn uh whitetail fawns as well well look we got a lot more to talk about here in the last segment Got to take our final break And uh, we're going to have both Troy and Miles back to wrap up the show. And you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck, and we will be right back.
6: You know it takes the right habitat to conserve and grow healthy wildlife populations. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're committed to helping landowners voluntarily protect land and wildlife habitat forever. The benefits here go beyond protecting habitat for upland birds and wildlife. Native grasslands protect soil, provide valuable resources for the ranching community, and serve as a natural filter to enhance water quality for all. We need your help to protect America's grasslands for future generations. Creating and leaving a legacy is within your reach. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're here to help you make a difference. Healthy habitat and abundant wildlife. Build it today to last forever. To learn more about how you can help us protect America's uplands, please visit us at pheasantsforever.org legacy. Back to Bass Pro Shops
1: Outdoor World. On Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome
0: back to our final segment of Ask Pro Shops Outdoor World here in Rural Radio. And, you know, we've been having a very lively, educational, inspiring, and informative visit with the Mule Deer Foundation's Miles Moretti and Sportsman Fish and Wildlife's President Troy Justinson. Anyway... We have really, really covered a lot of ground here and just so many good things that, that are happening here with these two organizations. Troy, we were talking right before the break about uh, these sheep transplants. And, uh, you know, how. T- tell me, how long does it take to establish a population
3: like that? It really depends upon the number of sheep you can get. I mean, our focus has been, if, if you only put in like 15 or 20, it takes a long time. But if you can get it, yeah, you know, don't, Fifty to seventy-five sheep in an area, man, you'd be amazed at how quick they hold on. I think we've got a unit down here on the Oak Creeks. Yeah, I think it's only six, seven years old, and we offered our first permits there last year. And now we're, you, know, we've got they just did an aerial count and they've got over seventy rams. So we're increasing our permits again there. It's a true success story. How many transplants over the last twenty plus years have you guys been part of? Man, I couldn't even count, but I tell you one thing, without transplant and without this conservation permit money, Utah does not have a sheep program, bottom line. Wow, quite, quite, quite amazing. And uh, just very quickly, how do they capture them? (laughs) Actually, most of the time it's out of helicopters and the net gun. Pretty exciting.
4: Yeah,
0: it is. Well, Miles, back a few years ago, uh, uh, Utah Division of Wildlife found some important data from the Mule Deer Transplant Study. You've talked about it. We're not moving those urban deer now with uh, the prevalence of CWD. What did you find when you were moving mule deer? You know, you said about some of them, you know, if they're not moved, they become residents of those urban areas. What else did you find
2: out? Anything? Interestingly, you know, a lot of Western biologists have always said, you know, moving mule deer, that doesn't work. They die. But we found that about 50% survival on the first transplant but those deer that make it through that 50%, 80% survive. The first year, they kind of wander around. They don't know what to do. But the second year, they get into that group, local group, and they actually migrate. Which, uh, And for most of your listeners in the east, when we talk about migration of mule deer, it's from a winter range down in the valleys to the tops of the mountains uh, up on the forest in the, in the summer. And that's a traditional uh, twice a year come down in the fall go back in the spring and it's 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 not it has to be taught by the adult doe to the fawn it's just not they just don't have that natural instinct to migrate quite like ducks and other birds and so um, it's a taught a learned process so we really learned some fascinating things about survival uh you know how to do how to do transplants more efficiently Um, and it all because of this new radio collar gps technology you can track these deer 24 hours a day isn't that cool yep you showed a
0: video Ike Eastman had of I think in Wyoming of of migrating mule deer. Tell our listeners about that
2: well you know uh, one thing about the the Eastmans have been uh, filming deer for for forty fifty years, and they're they put together a, a segment on uh, uh, migrating mule deer in Wyoming and kind of the history of that and, and things. And and on top of that, they donated a a hunt to uh, the expo that can go towards helping migration, uh, studies of migration.
0: Troy, we talked about uh, those predators, those large predators. You talked about bears, lions, et cetera. Uh, what are you doing to to try to control the impact of those large predators? I know the state has... Maybe increase tags. Uh, tell, tell us here, just in a short amount of time, we have the control efforts that are being made.
3: Uh, hats off to the Division of Wildlife Resources. They r- realized we had a problem. Sportsmen stood up and said, hey, we have a problem. We need something done. And uh, hats off to Director Fowkes. He uh, increased the permits to help us har- harvest. Was, we're not against predators, but when you have uh, our population is so low, and those predators keep them suppressed, and so we just have to eliminate those predators to let those ungulates come back, deer and elk, whatever
0: it may be, to get a foothold. Yeah. Well, here in the in the final uh, two minutes that we have, why don't you just give us sort of a wrap-up? Some final thoughts from Expo, from your organization, Miles?
2: Well, once again, we've had a fantastic show. Uh, we continue to grow we continue to be, uh, you know, the shining show in the, in the West. And, and, and our partnership is stronger than ever. And, uh, and we, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, that, uh, the, of the partnership and how we run this show. And we got more people that are signing up the day of the show and coming back next year. And, uh, we got people knocking on our door for booth space. So we'll be growing next year once again.
0: Well, I want to salute you in your retirement. Uh, I'm, Fourteen years, Mule Deer Foundation. Yep. Uh, wow, uh, what a what a career! We've got just less than thirty seconds. Troy, a wrap-up word to our listeners. Uh, just thanks to Miles. Thanks to him. What a what a appreciate, job! Appreciate what a great partnership you guys have had. And uh, I want to thank both of you for being here today. Congratulations for all that you've done, not only for wildlife, but for the great outdoors and for the people, for the hunters, in promoting, protecting our hunting and our fishing heritage. And you've improved the quality of life for, for so many people. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up here today on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Rob Keck. On of Bass Pro Shops, for your adventure always starts right here. Thanks for answering the call. That call to preserve our rich hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. We'll see you next week.
1: This has been Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Talking all things outdoors. Brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, your outdoor leader. Join us next Saturday and every Saturday for more special guests and unique locations.